1: everyone. Welcome to the No Low Ballers podcast. I'm Logan Medish of High Caliber History, your host. I'm here at the table with guys from GunBroker.com and from Go Wild. And today we're going to be talking about the military impact on the Deer Woods uh, and, and how military technology... Did they bomb it? Yes. Carpet <laughs> bombed it. Oh, man. Day. Yeah. Yeah. No, so <laughs> <laughs> so many deer, one yeah, shot. <laughs> like, Where'd you get that buck with Daisy Cutter? Yeah,
2: <laughs> napalm. Uh, that that yeah, makes no. finding the right like game trail a lot easier when you just bomb the whole woods. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you can just see forever. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, but no. Uh, on, on a on a more serious note, Brad, uh, we're we're going to talk about uh, how the, the, there was an actual uh, impact uh, between the military industry and the hunting industry, and one of the neat things we're going to tell you about. Is is how World War II aerial sites impacted shotgunning and bird hunting uh, right after World War II. I just
2: want to say no one brought me here to be serious. That was not the preface, so okay. All right, fair enough. I'm here for dumb jokes, and that's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that works. That works. He didn't bring the donuts. So. He, no, he
1: didn't bring the donuts. So, so Brad will bring the dumb jokes, and I need you guys to bring the subscriptions to the show. Oh, so, well played. Yeah. So, smash the like button, subscribe on your favorite platform. However, you're enjoying us. If you're looking at our faces that are built for radio, or if you're just listening in, <laughs> um, you know, we we need you to subscribe on all those platforms. So, again, welcome to the no. Hello Ballers podcast, guys, where nothing is serious uh, and we're talking hunting and military. So one of the things we want to talk about is the impact in the optics industry and how things have changed. And, and Alan, of course, in your previous life, you you dealt a lot with optics companies and evolution. So, so talk to us a little bit about some of the more modern history of the optics industry and what we've seen go on. Sure.
0: I, one of the, the brands that's iconic in, our, in the hunting industry for, you know, almost 115 years now is Leupold. Um, some, some of the best rifle scopes out there, their origin comes from a, a failed hunt that, you know, the Fred said, you know, the hell with this, I can make a better, better scope than this, and then he went out and did it. Uh, what people don't know as much about um, Leupold is their tactical optics side. Uh, for precision rifles, for years, Leupold was the largest provider of small arms optics to the U.S. military. Um, most of the sniper packages wore some form of a loophole tactical optic. Uh, and so I've, I've been able to visit the, the factory there in Beaverton, Oregon, and kind of see just the, the differences between the two product lines. And really, it comes down to ruggedization. You know, the difference between a VX6 and a Mark VI really is one's built to take just about anything you can throw at it. One's built to take everything you can throw at it. Um, and I know that the folks that, you know, work on that factory and put the, that line together, they, they realize that every optic they make potentially is somebody's life either saving it or protecting someone else's. So they take that very seriously. Um, but really, that's that's one thing we've seen trickle back down then into the the consumer market and the hunting world. Things that came in that were military spec, you know, we require this level of waterproofing, we need dials that work this way. Certainly in adjustments and reticles, we're seeing that play into um, the hunting market now. Vortex was great at that, you know, they mm-hmm. brought out um, a, a number of consumer focused products with what we would call military features. So. Um, Christmas tree reticles, you know, the very busy reticles set off in often mill radian as opposed to the minutes of angle that most Americans are, you know, hunters are used to doing. Um, you know, when it first came out, we were all kind of looking at it going, but, you know, a deer hunter doesn't need a first focal plane optic with a Christmas tree reticle. Well, they still wanted it. And because of that and the education that came along with it, the, the deer hunter became better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so now you're able to take more accurate shots. People are taking shots they might not have been able to to successfully take before um it also kind of led to the explosion the long-range shooting as well but that's a different show um but really bringing some of these features that have made the rifles that much more effective in the hands of our military marksmen and snipers i mean if if you're accurately taking a shot there there's no difference between that and taking an accurate shot on a game animal so if you can bring those features and those designs into the consumer market at an affordable spot game on
1: Mm -hmm. interesting yeah, and and the the optics it stretches even further back uh, than you know than just like we're talking you know Vietnam era snipers and stuff. It goes even all the way back to World War II when we're talking about different optics and how things mm-hmm. have have been influenced from the military side and then into the the civilian uh, market. And that's uh, hints at what I brought up in in the beginning talking about uh, aircraft sites, aircraft gun sights, um, to shotgunning, and that leads us to the Nidar. Shotgun sight model 47. Um, uh, maybe the camera will even pick up the crazy reflectiveness off the front of this thing because this is ridiculous. Um, but it it is based off of a a military aviation sight, um, and this is your first reflex sight for shotguns. So this comes out in 1946. The company had been making things for the military for aircraft. And they thought, well, we can kind of scale that down and and use it on a shotgun, you know, for duck hunting and dove hunting and, and things like that. And so, you know, we tend to think of reflex sites as being a more modern creation. Um, and certainly the technology that we have today is very modern. Uh, but the concept is, is 80 years old uh, at this point. You know, there's, there's no batteries in this thing. You know, it doesn't light up. It, it runs solely off of mirrors uh, reflecting a white bullseye in there. So you don't have to worry about batteries dying, you know, or, or anything like that. Um, you've you've got this sight that you can put on your shotgun, and now you've got you know you've got the, the, what do they call The donut of death is that you know <laughs> you've got one of those going all the way back to 1946. Seeing a theme on this show, I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: the ca- the camera hopefully caught the glare off that, but what the camera didn't pick up is the weight of this thing. Yes, you know, for for those of us who are used to modern red dots or reflex sights. Now I got to see it. Oh, this thing is crazy.
1: It's very cool. Oh
0: yeah. You know, on a shotgun, that's probably not terrible but it's you know it's still noticeable i do feel like i'm playing duck hunt right exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know and they and they just don't make and package things now like they used to then you know the cover for the site this is a piece of sewn brown leather with gold foil embossed NIDAR company on it, you know, you you just don't get stuff like that anymore. like the little rubber cover that comes in my Delta Point Pro? Yeah, it's exactly the same, only totally different, (laughs) right? You know? (laughs) (laughs) And there's, you know, we had talked a little before we started filming, you know, the concept of, you know... uh, more trying to standardize the footprint Mm -hmm. for your optics mounts Um, and we're still working on it we're getting there but we're still working on it but in this era you know there there is no standardization for that you know i'm i'm looking for a shotgun that i'm gonna have that mounted on and i'm gonna have to send it to a gunsmith friend of mine to to properly drill and tap the receiver uh, to make it fit correctly, yeah. and then and then that sight will belong to that gun. You know, I can't take it off and, and pop it onto another one like we were. You know, we we are spoiled enough to to be able to do today. You know, so, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to find a, a NIDAR in the optics section on Go Wild that you can just <laughs> plop in there. You'll find lots of great stuff in the optics section on Go Wild, but a NIDAR is not one of no. them. You no. Know? <laughs> what, what would this have gone for back in the day? Uh, it was like $24.75 or something like that, which when you run the inflation on it, it's about 360 bucks. Oh, so gross. it's actually fairly comparable. Yeah. Okay, it's you about know? the same
0: price as the shotgun. You, know, well, <laughs> yeah, if yeah, you Yeah, yeah, you Convert everything. Yeah. Yes, exactly.
1: Yeah, so you know, in in some you know, the optics have kind of kept up with inflation in, in that regard. You know, for three hundred and some odd dollars, you could be into into a nice optic. You know, and it's the same way for that. So, so we've talked our optics history. Let's let's talk about our firearms history with how things have changed and been influenced from the military side mm-hmm. into the hunting side. Because Alan, I know you specifically have a gun. In your collection, that fell victim to this. <laughs> uh,
0: sadly, yeah, uh, it's 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 a painful story to tell, but I'll try to get through it. You We're th- your support group. We're uh, thank here. <laughs> <for> you. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, you know, we've talked in the past of how the civilian market, you know, has influenced the military, certainly with especially bolt actions and precision rifles. But um, in the earlier part of the century, um, the the hunting market specifically was really influenced by the military market, largely through surplus rifles. So as the American military was kind of changing over from bolt-action rifles like the Springfield 1904 to the M1 Grand, the M14, and later on, these guns were surplus like crazy, which meant they were very inexpensive, which meant a lot of people with, you know, tanned necks would buy them and send them off and have them turn into sporting guns, sporterized, they called it. So then generations later, you've got someone like, I don't know, me, who finds out that his uncle has a Springfield 1904 that he wants to give you, and you're super excited until it shows up in a sporter stock with a scotch taped on butt pad, the mm-hmm. barrel chopped off, um, rings machined into it by somebody who I think had a power drill and maybe a drill <laughs> press and rattle can black, completely unshootable. And you're 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 just devastated. They cut this cut the rear sights off the whole 9 yards. It's just just devastated. But this happened to hundreds of thousands of Springfields between probably 1945 and 1965. You could buy them dirt cheap out of catalogs. Yeah you know, my era, we saw the similar, but there were a lot, a lot of um, communist block guns. I mean, when I was a kid, it seemed like everybody had an SKS or a mosin was a big, you know, 18 mile long 9130 or the shorter carbine version. Um, you could get them dirt cheap. The ammo was pretty inexpensive. 762 by 39. Ballistically is not radically different from 3030. So it, it was viable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you could find a, Find a way to get, you know, a limiter and an SKS to only hold four rounds. But, uh, yeah, there, there was a, a lot of these really classic historical rifles that were converted. And some were done beautifully. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Some of the most beautiful historic custom hunting guns of all time are built off old Mauser actions, which came in the same way. They were military surplus rifles. Took off the barrel, took off the stock took the action and built a hunting rifle around it. So I know you've got uh, got the textbook here on how to do it.
1: Yeah, this is one of the most unfortunate things I've ever purchased in my life. From 1963, the fourth edition of How to Convert Military Rifles. So basically how to destroy uh, a collectible firearm that in 1963 wasn't collectible. And this is this was actually put out by a company uh, that that sells the parts, too, right? So, they were very invested in this. And it tells you how to go through and do the different conversions uh, for all of the different kinds of make and model guns. You know, so we covered the 03 Springfield, we cover uh, the, the 1917, we're covering all of the German Mausers in here the British Smellies or SMLEs, for those of you who are a little more appropriate, uh, the Winchester 95s, um, just all sorts of stuff, uh, Japanese Arasakas, you know, basically if it was Millsurp that you could buy cheap, this company and others like it, we're going to tell you how to turn that into a deer gun, you know, and, and people did it in droves, as Alan said, you know, hundreds of thousands of them because they were dirt cheap. And uh, But aside from them being dirt cheap, you know these are guns that a lot of these hunters in in the 50s you know they may have used that gun when they were in the service yeah. in world war ii or in korea you know and they knew that platform intimately mm-hmm. right you know i mean they had to they were trusting their life to that gun uh, on the battlefield and and a lot of guys you know they they go into the deer woods with their gun they know that gun really well as their deer gun so it would make sense that the gun you trusted your life to is a gun that you can trust in the deer woods too
2: but you and i've talked about this in the past logan i mean in the <clears throat> in the short term sometimes historical items don't feel historical right I yes. remember you telling me yeah. that the, utilitarian. the we did that show on the Hamilton Burr duel mm-hmm. and you told me those guns were modified later uh, and you know really didn't seem that significant in the near term right and now it blows my mind to think like someone modified those and you're like yeah because it just they were just firearms used in a, a political event It wasn't something that was seen as significant. do you exactly. think there's some of that at play here like people right. weren't really looking at it it was more of a utilitarian view it was
1: absolutely yeah. utilitarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, guys needed a new deer rifle and you know, hey, you know, most of most of the Americans, you know, it was in 30-06, you know, that's a great deer cartridge, you know. Um and and they were cheap. They were plentiful, and there was tons of aftermarket stuff to modify them. You know, there's a whole damn book on them. It's seventy-five pages <laughs> of worth of stuff. You know, and 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 then there were other magazine articles. You know, Guns and Ammo and American Rifleman published articles similar to okay. this of of how to convert your your surplus gun. So guys were inundated with it. You know, it'd be today if you were scrolling through ads online. You know, you you'd see stuff like it was the equivalent. You yeah. know, you you, yeah. you couldn't. Spit and not hit some mil conversion material. It's an odd know. visual, but yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's. A, a, this show is nothing but odd visuals, right? I mean, from the four mugs sitting around yeah. the table, it's, it's, we start with odd visual, right? I mean, and
0: that's an influence we haven't really thought about is the cartridge itself. I mean, the 30 out 6 was developed as a military cartridge, sure. but it has evolved into one of the most versatile hunting c- calibers they make. You know, you can load 110 grains if you want and shoot small game. You can put a. 220 in there and go after a moose if you want and pretty much everything in between so you know what was designed as a military cartridge with kind of really one purpose has become you know a ubiquitous
1: cartridge in the field yeah absolutely i mean i you know and i've we, we had talked you know you've got the the poor bastardized sporterized mm-hmm. one and i've i've got uh an 03 a3 and he won't you trade <laughs> no he won't i won't trade yeah i'm such a <laughs> the worst <laughs> the worst. <laughs> yeah um you know but there's and there's a whole group of gunsmiths and collectors and stuff that uh they love buying up the bubba sporterized guns and converting them back yeah. to their military Taking glory exactly and i think i think that's a mm-hmm. noble pursuit yeah. you know for yeah. for a lot of stuff and and uh Uh, I don't have the gunsmithing skills to do things like that. But I think it's really cool that guys are actively going out and and righting the wrongs of the past. You know, sometimes that's a good idea. Sometimes it's not.
0: It uh, hasn't hasn't really ended either, though. You know, I mentioned my generation. It was the SKS rifle. My my father-in-law bought a very nice, uh, you know, the Hungarian woodstock with the the bayonet folding, folding bayonet and the grenade launcher sights and everything for me for Christmas one year. And my brother-in-law got the one with the, you know plastic polytech stock the removable <laughs> magazine that never works um the shortened barrel and it's kind of like can't have mine right <laughs> i got the good one right. um so you know we're we're still taking perfectly good firearms with a nice little
2: historical feel to them and you know Americanizing. Are are we living this all over again with with you know moving into the modern modern sporting rifles right? Like it's it's a nostalgic feel for something that another generation's familiar with, and they get to use that in the field. Can you talk through some of that transition we're going through right now?
1: Absolutely. You know, it it the modern sporting rifle field. That's. We, we look at, you know, the AR-15, you know, and, and of course the Colt M16 for that. And it doesn't get any more tied together yeah. than than that firearm, right? Because when it was introduced, you know, the, the military was a little hesitant to embrace that. And so when Colt started making them uh, in 1963, uh, then in 1964, they're taking out full-page ads in all of the gun magazines, Um, touting it as the Colt Sporter, your next deer rifle. Yeah, you know and and you and and you look at it and it's it's what today you know everyone is clutching their pearls and afraid of you know Mm. it's it's the black polymer furniture and you know but it but it's an ar it's an ar-15 right and they're calling it the colt sporter and it's your deer rifle um but we're seeing guys you know doing that today that i mean the ar is is the perfect platform you know that's why we call it the modern sporting rifle right i mean you you can get an ar and darn near any caliber and hunt anything with it right i mean
0: i mean it, it really took off in the varmint world at first you know because you're talking high volume fire small caliber so you know prey dog hunters coyote hunters loved the ar platform super lightweight super adjustable But as, you know, the thirty caliber became more and more available, you know, the AR-10s became a little less expensive and more more people made them, it became a more viable option for deer. And it goes right back to what Logan was talking about after World War II. You've got so many Americans have bought the MSR over years that they're just comfortable with it. You have so many veterans that, again, have trained, you know, to use this firearm. They're comfortable with it. Law enforcement's very familiar. It's just, and it's a well-designed rifle. Yeah, You know, like it or love it, it's an ergonomically really well-designed rifle. I think the way
1: it handles recoil, too, is especially yep. like youth hunters, mm-hmm. you know, to be shooting something that is is not as much recoil as a .30-06, like it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, sure. and you,
0: you look at some companies like Savage have, um, uh, I forget the, the model name, but they've got a rifle that comes in youth configuration. But when you buy it, it's got the adult stock in the box, so they can grow into it. Well, That's so cool. It is, but with an AR, you just go click. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you put the stock <laughs> right. in two positions, and now it's your youth <laughs> rifle. You need to, you want to use it, pull the stock back out. Yeah. So it, it for a one rifle pr- um, platform, it makes a ton of sense. And then, you know, you had Nemo come out with a 300 Win Mag, it became a big game viable option. Nowadays I think everybody who makes an AR probably has a three oh eight version or even more growing these days is the 6.5 Creedmoor version, which isn't really a big jump from the three oh eight platform, so it's kind of an engineering easy. Yeah. But um, yeah it's 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 not uncommon. It used to be kind of rare to see an AR at the
2: deer check station. Now it's it's kind of getting almost the other way, at least where we're at. I feel like some of this is a, a flavor of, you know, how easy it is to follow along with, with some of your heroes now. You know, a Tim Kennedy, a Jack Mm -hmm. Carr. Jack Carr is great for you know his books. If you're a gearhead, Mm -hmm. you get to see all in the weeds. To the point, a lot of times I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I
1: look up so much stuff when I'm reading. I'm always like Uh.
2: driving or running or something while I'm listening (laughs) to the book, and I'm like, I'm just going to accept that that was some type of scope that i have no idea what he's talking <laughs> about right but i i, I see uh, i think there's a lot of fan base kind of coming out of uh, yeah. because as you kind of started off a lot of this has become accessible you can have a, a more civilian version but inspired by you know what what these guys like james reese from from the the books are using right mm-hmm. and it kind of lets you um kind of have some fun and i think that's what we didn't mention the ar-15 platform is just fun right yeah, like there's an element of that that like if you, people that are so against it have probably never gone out to the range and seen what what how much fun you can have safely Mm -hmm. right like i think (laughs) there's an element of that too but i mean i definitely think you know being able to follow along with a lot of these guys who've gone on to be very well known after their their military careers and seeing the gear that they have and i can have some of that for honestly not a crazy price right like it's very attainable
0: absolutely
1: absolutely
2: And
0: we're we're seeing this now, um, you know, the chassis guns, if you go back to, 20-some years ago, the the M2010 sniper package was kind of the first chassis-based gun in the military. Um, Then the bench rest community kind of jumped on, and the precision rifle community kind of took on it. We're starting to see hunting-based chassis guns
2: now. I I was going to ask you guys about this, Mm because I I bought a Christensen a few Mm -hmm. years ago, um, the modern precision rifle. It's got the, you know, collapsible stock, and it... Is that coming, like, what's the inspiration for, because SIG's got the cross, mm-hmm. you know, very similar uh, concepts, uh, but, but they're a bolt action. Um, so, like, what's been the inspiration for that wave? Because it, se- it does seem like it's picking up and hunting. For the accuracy, they're very mm-hmm. compact and lightweight to, to be able to yep. carry. But what's your all's take on, like, where did that move come from?
1: Yeah, well, that's a great question. And, but, but so many more companies are jumping out. Like you mentioned, you know, SIG's got the cross. I was just uh, at, at an industry event a couple of weeks ago. Now it was longer than that. Time flies. A couple months ago now. Um, but Aero Precision, mm-hmm. you know, that is an AR company, is known for ARs, has come out with a bolt-action rifle. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think...
0: Nosler, 75 years of an ammunition company, as traditional and conservative a company as it gets in our space, last year launched a carbon-based um, or carbon-fiber chassis-based rifle, the uh, Compact Carbon Hunter, the CCH folding stock and it's it's the wildest looking thing and it's from Nosler.
1: Yeah, I I think a lot of the big push with that is that there is much more emphasis on big public land hunting, get out there, get lost, go far, mm-hmm. and so these the rifles are being made to accommodate that going in a pack that yeah. doesn't take us so you don't space. have to have
2: it on the outside of your bag anymore i can right. literally collapse that stock down and i could sit it in my bag and take it with me now i still generally am using my whitetail bag got the bo- booty that i put it on just because it's easier but i mean if you were trying to like you weren't you knew you weren't going to need the gun for your walk-in because like you're out west I mean, it is a nice gun to have. You shot yeah. one. You shot one of the Christiansons, too. I, th- I saw yes. you post about it on Go Wild. Yep. Um, they're, they're amazing. Oh, I they mean, are. Oh, my God. They're
1: absolutely amazing. I Like you said, I was shooting one because that's how I found out you had one because <laughs> you saw my post. And, yeah, I was in uh, 6.5 PRC. Uh, I was hitting targets. Repeatedly at 1,200 yards.
2: Yeah. Um, Is this the time to mention that I missed a deer at 50 yards? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, your dope was dialed for 1,000. So, Uh, (laughs) you know. I I, I will say, it was my first uh, shot of the deer in a saddle, if that helps. But yeah, so, but I, I, second shot got him. So, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think there's a things certain happen, <laughs> right there's a certain question of okay,
0: I'm cutting the handle off my toothbrush, I'm scraping the rubber off our, our armor off my spotting scope to save weight, you know, I'm doing all the things Jim Shocking tells me to do before we pack up, and then I'm grabbing my, you know, twelve pound <laughs> rifle optic combo and slinging it on. You know, if we can shave some weight there and actually improve a performance at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. nothing against beautiful woodstock guns, but they don't like moisture so much. Yep. Yep. So carbon fiber doesn't really seem to care. Yep. You know, if I can fold that stock, like you said, tuck it straight into the backpack yeah. so my optic ain't getting all banged up as I'm climbing around, all the better. Uh, I, and plus, it's, it's a new gear. I mean, you know, we're we're gizmo gear people. So,
1: right. you know, if it's shiny carbon fiber, yeah, we're on board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And there's so, yeah, there's just so much of that that is all intertwined. And, you know, and th- this entire topic, you know, on, on the surface, it doesn't necessarily look like the two go together, you know, military history and hunting history, but... I'll be damned if they're not totally linked, you well, know? Well,
2: isn't it? It's kind of funny, too, though, because I think uh, I've, I've read some, you know, uh, well, you see this in movies a lot, too, but um, I think originally a lot of the guys that ended up being snipers way back in the day were, you know, grew up hunting, though, right? Sure. So it's like it's yeah. always
0: been intertwined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean, because further back than that. Your first, you know, recruits into the volunteer army yeah. in the Revolutionary War were guys that showed up with their hunting rifles. Yeah. Yep. And we didn't fight war the way we were supposed to because we fought like hunters. We mm-hmm. hid in the woods, we took shots from
2: concealment, and then we got the heck out of there. Well, Simon you know, Kenton. I I told I I don't know if you're going to the Frasier, but I, I've been to the Fraser since we talked about it last show. And they have God. a big uh, exhibit right now on Lewis and Clark. And it was talking about how mm-hmm. this this expedition was going to be uh, – is going to really raise your profile if you did it. So they had all these, you know, uh, esteemed politicians who wanted to join. And they're like, no, 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 no. We hmm. want the farm boys. Yeah. You know, we want the guys <laughs> <Yeah>. who <So> – <laughs> Illiterate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We And so they took nine people from Kentucky with them who were just, you know, uh, rugged hunters uh, who knew how to survive and skin a buck, you know, that was, that was what they needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think, like you said, going even into, you know, military uh, times, I mean, that those skill sets that you learn in hunting certainly are a great kickstart to military training.
1: Absolutely. So Alan, what kind of stuff uh, has closed in the past week or so on gumbroker.com that would be, of interest, and
2: if you can tie this back to donuts for a third <laughs> reference, that would be awesome. <laughs> I'll see what I can
0: do. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the AR platform rifle, the modern sporting r- or modern sporting rifle, and prices are usually tied to your manufacturer. You know, you've got your value brands, you've got your commodity brands, you've got your premium brands, and certainly one of those premium brands for years has been Knights Armament. Mm-hmm. Um, Trey Knight makes a fantastic product. Um, you know, the SR25 is kind of the gold standard it's really the sem- it's the sass it's the semi-automatic sniper system um, it's the gold standard for 30 cal ar's so those usually go at a good premium now we're talking about hunting, and while 308 7.62 is certainly a you know viable hunting cartridge, um, you know 6.5 Creedmoor is currently the hot trend. Um, so when we get a combination of a Knights Armament SR25 chambered in 6.5 Creedmoor, hmm. we expect to see an interesting auction. Um, and we had one close off last week, and it was surprising, but not for the reason I expected.
1: Okay.
0: Um, closed at 6,500, $6, $6, $6, $5. dollars which for a Knights SR25. Actually, isn't that bad of a price to begin with? It's a little on the high end for a basic 30 cal, but uh, for 6.5, that feels like whoever bought that had got a pretty good value for it, right? So, that's the SR 25 is on my list of grail guns as well. Is it? So, yeah, and and again, because of our heroes, you know, you see the, the pictures of Travis Haley on the rooftop, you see Chris Kyle with the semi auto, and it's always the yeah. Knight's armament. It's that iconic look, you got to have the right color, tan paint, you got to have <laughs> the right can on it, but. Um, you know, you just, you kind of want that because even though it's not the right one, you still feel like you are somehow connected to that bit of
2: history. Yep. Absolutely. I'll tie it back. Some of (laughs) us enjoy a few too many donuts to actually (laughs) look like these, these guys. True. So So if we get the gear, we can just at least kind of look like them when we hold the gun. There you Uh, go. There we go. I brought it back around.
1: Trying to shave weight on everything except your waistline. Yeah. (laughs) The easiest thing to trim. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) oh goodness well we're running short on time but i appreciate you guys tuning in to the podcast Uh, make sure you're logging your time and go wild. Uh, make sure you leave us a review on whatever platform you're checking out the show. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the show. It, it means a lot to all of us that, that you've tuned in and you've made it this far to the end of the episode. We appreciate all of you being here. Uh, and guys around the table with me, appreciate y'all being here, um, and talking about all sorts of history and donuts and all sorts of good things. So again, thanks so much guys, uh, for, for, joining us on this episode of the no low ballers podcast we will be right back here next week and we hope to see you there as well